Praise the Lord. Are you here to hear the word of the Lord this morning? Yes. Amen. I'm not going to disappoint you. Just give you the word of God. Hallelujah. Uh, now we're going to start today in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. Uh, I want you to open up your Bibles. I haven't got it on the screen. I just uh, want to read this verse to you in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you've got your Bible here, please open up there. 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, verse 3. And the reason why I want to read you this is because I want to make it clear that, uh, that when I'm going to talk to you today, I'm not cutting out any places in the Bible. The Bible is important to you as a child of God, God from Genesis to Revelation. Each and every word is important to your life. You need to understand this. You need to know this. But I want you to look just quickly in your Bibles in Second uh, Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. It's easy to remember this verse because if you think about John three sixteen, it says that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That there is the Logos. It's the Word. It's the written Word. It is Jesus that He sent to this earth, and it's easy to remember this. He says here, all Scripture. Everybody say scripture. Everybody say all. all. It means all scripture which you hold in your hands. All scripture. What about all scripture? It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Everybody say inspiration. inspiration. If you're new here, you're going to get me to you to repeat words, okay? I've been a teacher in South Africa and that's how you learn, repeating words. So bear with me. The word there, inspiration, means it's a breath of life. That's what it means. It means that God inspired. He gave His Word to us. It amazes me how people neglect the Word of God. He says it right here. He says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. And man, do we need instruction in righteousness. Will you say amen to that? Amen. I'm not waiting for you. I know it is so. I say to you today that the Word of God is for instruction for righteousness to us. The world need instruction in righteousness. The world need the church to give instruction in righteousness. And the only place that the church is going to find the instruction in righteousness is the Word of God. That's the only place. Brothers and sisters, dear friend, madam, sir, whatever name you want to be called by, if I give you anything but the Word of God, I'm but wasting your time. The time is short. The time is short. The coming of the Lord is at hand. And it is time for the people to get instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I stand under that scripture today. There is three books, which is really important books in your life. The whole Bible, you just heard me say the whole Bible. Don't cut it out. But there's three books for you as a child of God to grow after you are saved. Genesis. The book of Genesis is important. It's the foundation. The book of Genesis, brothers and sisters, you need as a child of God have to read it over and over and over so many times that you nearly can tell me how many chapters is there and you can tell me what is written in Genesis. Genesis, if you don't understand Genesis, you won't understand the Bible. It's an important book. I've preached through it verse by verse, I think, three or four times. 
It's an important book. A second book which is really important is the book of Revelation. Why? Because it's the last book in the Bible. And the book of Revelation is actually telling us how all of this is going to be wrapped up. Wrapped up. Coming together. It's a really important book to understand. People don't want to touch it these days because it is a, according to the difficult book. Yeah? Have you heard that? It's a difficult book. I've preached through the book of Revelation verse by verse a few times and I tell you now it's not a difficult book. You need the Holy Spirit to help you and guide you through but it's not difficult. And then there's another book which is really important and guess what book it is? The book of Acts. Those three books are important. You as a child of God need to spend your time reading, studying the whole Bible, but more so if you want to start grow and get direction in your Christian life, those three books, you can't go wrong. Turn to the person that you is talking to you now. Say that to him, he's talking to you. Now I've got a lot of content today, a lot of content, and my prayer during the week, honestly, you can ask my wife, I say, Lord, what do I leave out, and what do I do not leave out? I can keep you here the whole day, and I'm not trying to impress you about what I can do. I want to impress you what the Word can do. There is so much content. Now I'm going to go through verse by verse through the book of Acts, and I want to pre-warn you. Some places we're going to go slow. We're going to go slow. We're going to go five verses and I might be preaching three or four weeks on five verses. It could be that. And then some places I'll go fast and we can use, you know, one Sunday for a chapter. That's just the nature of the book of Acts. But this is going to open up. And this is my prayer. It's going to open up your whole understanding about this Christian life that you've been living for so long. There's some concepts that's going to come out of the study that will make you go, wow, really, huh? And you want more. Is that you this morning? Yes. Now, brothers and sisters, I've been preaching through this Bible a few times. And I'll tell you what, every single time, even now when I prepare for this study, I'm as hungry as you. I'm as passionate as you. And, and brothers and sisters, I, am, I, I say, Lord, I just want to get my teeth into this book and start preaching it. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready for the ride? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Let's do it. I like that. So we're going to go fast and we're going to go slow. Today I'm going to look at the first five verses, but it's not the last message on the first five verses. If we set the scene here today, I want to talk to you about Acts as a transitional book. Everybody say transitional. Transitional. Transitional means change. It means it's a changing book. But I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, this is not changing just in book. You will see a metamorphosis taking place through the doctrines that came through in the Gospels over to what Paul is teaching. The reason why so many people in the church today is sitting under law is because they don't understand what happened in the book of Acts. This is just so. So in your Bibles, open up in Acts chapter 1. If you haven't got a Bible here for the next weeks, if you don't have one, ask and I'll buy you one. But I want you to start bringing Bibles to church because you can write in them and you can make notes in them. Whatever way you find, may the Lord bless you. So let's have a look at the book of Acts. Now, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. And I pray the Lord leads us. 
Now we open up in Acts chapter 1 verse 1 and normally people tell you who's the writer of the book, when it was written and they give you a little bit of background around it. That's not what I'm going to do today. Now, I'm going to tell you today that Luke is the writer of the book. Luke, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke, he's the writer of the book of Acts. And you will see why this is becoming a little bit important to understand. In Acts chapter 1 verse 1 it says, The former account I made. You see this? The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began. Anybody say began? Yeah. Began to both do and teach. He's talking about a previous work that he's done. He's talking about an account. He's talking about a book that he's written before this. This is what that means. Now you and I are blessed this morning because we do have that book in our hands. It's called the Gospel according to Luke. Now if you open up over in Luke chapter 1 verse 1, you will find the following. Keep your fingers in both places, okay? So Luke writes, he says, The former account I made is about all what Jesus began to do and teach. Man, if I just had that one book, if I just walk into a bookstore and there's this book of Acts and I pick that book up and I start reading it and he says the former account that I made was all about Jesus, what he did and what he said. Wouldn't you also want to go and buy that previous book? I would. I would want to know everything that Jesus did. And here we go. We've got that book. Luke chapter 1 verse 1. He says, inasmuch as many have taken in hand. So this is Luke writing to you and me, and he says, and to, the, to everybody, he says, there's a lot of people that started to write about what Jesus did. A lot of people, eyewitnesses, saw what Jesus did. And we've got a few examples of that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and John. They wrote about it. But he says, there's many that have taken this. Many came and have taken that hand. That means they were writing down I love the Bible, it's so practical. To set in order the narrative, the story, the narrative of those things which have been fulfilled amongst us. So Luke says, there's a lot of people, they saw what Jesus did. Let nobody come to you and say that Jesus was only a myth. This is where we find our evidence. By the way, Luke was a doctor. He was a man, a trained man. And it fascinates me that God uses this doctor to write this. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. So he says that there's eyewitnesses who told him all the things that's been fulfilled amongst us. These people told him and the ministers of the word delivered them to us. So some of these things Luke himself did not see, but yet he is part of our Bible, he's the Gospel. And then in verse 3 he says, It seems good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account. So if you want to go and read an orderly account of what Jesus did, read the Gospel according to Luke. In fact, if you want to continue in the school of Acts, 
That's your homework for next week. Read the whole Gospel of Luke. <laughs> Who's going to do that? <laughs> but this is an orderly account that he says, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. This is straightforward. It's English. I don't have to explain it to you. It says that Paul said he had all of these things that these witnesses told him. He's going to put in an orderly account all the things that's happened and, and why? So that Theophilus may know. Everybody say no. no. The certainty of those things. The certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So I believe that Theophilus was preached the gospel. Now here comes the question now then, who is Theophilus? Who is this Theophilus? And there's a lot of scholars who wrote about this. There's a lot of people who say it might have been one person, one man. But there's also people who say it might be a group of people who were called Theophilus. There's, there's somehow, through all of the ages, nobody can pinpoint this person. You, you don't find him anywhere else in the Bible called by this. But if we look at the name Theophilus, we see that it means two words, Theo and Phyllis. Now, Phyllis is one of the Greek words that we find for love. But Theo means God. This is where we find our English word theology from. Who knows theology? Theology only means Theo, God, ology, the study of God. So this name is made out of both of them, Theo, Phyllis. Phyllis comes from the Greek word philia. What is philia? It's brotherly love. In, in Greek there's five words for love. Not like English. English we've only got one word. And I struggle sometimes with that one word. I told you a few weeks ago. You know, if I walk into my house and I'm driving with my car to my house, I touch the car, you know, and I go, man, I love this car. I've only got one word to say that. I walk into my house, I stop at my house and I go, man, I love this house. I walk into the garage and Cody, my little dog, comes running up to me and he jumps up and I say, man, I love this dog. And I walk into my kitchen and there's my beautiful wife and I say, honey, I love you. Now, she's not going to be happy if I say, I love you as I love the dog. <laughs> Is she? She's not going to be happy if I say, I love you as I love my car. No, no, the Greek is so wonderful because there's different, there's five different words for that. Agape is a sacrificial love. That's a love that God had. For God, Agape, His Son. He sent His Son to die for us. Filio is where we find one of the churches in Revelation. That is the filial love. It's a brotherly love. Eros love is, is, by the way, the love that Hollywood is taken on. You know what Eros love is? It's erotica, erotic love. That is a love which they say is the best love. No, no, there's so many layers of that. But here we find this. It says, Theo Phyllis, it means a lover of God. A lover of God. So Theophilus is a person or a group of people who love God. Now let me just see by a show of hands. Do you love God? Do you love God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Amen. And all of us here is Theophilus. We are lovers of God. So I, I truly can say that this is being written to us. So we go back now and we see verse 2, Acts chapter 1 verse 2. He says, until the day, he says, Theophilus, I'm going to write to you these things. The former account in Luke I wrote to you about what Jesus did and what he taught until the day in which he was taken up. 
I'm going to show you. There's a graph. There's something nice coming, but I'll show this to you. Luke says, I was writing down in the Gospel of Luke until the day he was taken up. What happened then, Luke? After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering and by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking. Now, I want you now to concentrate, okay? This is the, here's one of those moments. He says, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. If it's your Bible, circle that. The kingdom of God. So what did Jesus do? He was resurrected from the grave. He came and he gave commandments to the apostles. And then he was speaking about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Have you studied it? Because it's fascinating. If you understand the kingdom of God, and you haven't heard this before, it will revolutionize, it will change your Christian walk. In verse 4 he says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water. Now I can uh, circle this, but you can actually circle this. John baptized with what? With water. <clears throat> you remember John back in Bethabara uh, when he was baptizing? He looked at the crowds and he said to those crowds, Be baptized for the remission of your sins. He was baptizing in water. You need to follow this. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says, for truly, John baptized with water, but, sharp contrast, you shall be baptized with that. Holy oh, Spirit, not many days from now. Wait a minute. But it's a pretty theological word, isn't it? It means a sharp contrast. It means if I'm walking that way, but now I'm walking in that way, it means it's a contrast. So first Jesus says, by the baptism in water from John, but now he says, you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. You were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Acts is a transitional book. I'll show this to you. Let's have a look at this card here. I want you to just take a note of that. I'll give you a minute or two just to, to see all those things there. So we say Acts is a transitional book. It is from the Old Testament into the New Testament. The main thing which you need to understand and remember is that these men, when they were writing Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they were writing the Gospels under the Old Testament. Under the Old Testament to Jews. They were writing the Gospel mainly to Jews. Jesus came firstly for His own. He came for the Jews. This is important to understand. Those was under the Old Testament. Jesus was born under the Old Testament. These men were talking about the Old Testament things. They were in themselves, these books are transitional books. In themselves. But the biggest parts of these books were Old Testament. Although it's sitting in your Bible under the New Testament. 
Now I want you, if you've got your Bible, to open up at the last, at the end of Matthew. Just go to the last page when you find the last words of Matthew. Can somebody please tell me, out loud, what is the very final word that you find in the Gospel of Matthew? Amen. Say it out. Amen. amen. What does amen mean? So be it. So when we pray and I say amen, what does it mean? You actually say amen, so it means you agree with me for the prayer that I prayed. But it also means that's where the prayer stops and everybody opens up their eyes. Isn't it true? So when he says in the end of Matthew, amen, it means he wrote it all to that point, amen, and that's where the gospel stopped. That's why you don't get extra things which has been put into that book. The book stopped at amen. And what did he write in the last words? He was talking about the Great Commission. You can check it in your Bible. He says that Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, tongues and tribes. Yeah? Right. I want you now to open up in your Bibles to the very last page of Mark. I, I think you know where I'm going. Can somebody please shout out loud, what is the very last word in the book of Mark? Amen. amen. What does amen mean? So be it. So Mark writes as well the whole gospel. And when he came to this part, he was talking in his very last words, is Jesus' ascension. So all of these talked about the cross, all of them talked about the resurrection, but they all came to Amen. Now open up in the book of Luke. You know where I'm going. No, I want you to do that. I don't want you to sit here and say, now I'm trusting you, preacher. I want you to see it with your very own eyes. It, the very last word in the book of Luke, and somebody shouted out loud. Amen. Amen. What did Luke write the last part? Luke wrote about Jesus' ascension. Now the fascinating thing is Mark and Peter, who told him the things that he needed to write down, Luke wrote down what the eyewitnesses was telling him, but he said, Amen. And you can see this red line here is the pivotal point, which we will come to later. And you can see how these Gospels pushes in behind the red line. So it's transitional from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Now the last one. John. Open up in the very last page of John. And somebody shout out loud what the very last word is there. Amen. Amen. So it's transitional books. It comes from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And we find them all there. Now can somebody open up in the book of Acts, the very last page. The very last page in the book of Acts. Is there an Amen there? Is there an Amen there, church? No. There is no Amen there. You see that? The Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to read now what is the very last words in that, in the book of Acts. In Acts 28 verse 28. Luke writes down, he says, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to who? The Gentiles. You need to circle that. There's something that happened in the book of Acts. There's something, and I'm going to show it to you in a minute, but when it started off in the book of Acts and the end of the book of Acts is not the same. Something changed. And now he says that you need to know that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. Will all the Gentiles put up their hands in this church? 
There's no one with Jewish black here, is there? I'm a Gentile. And you know what? I thank God because I've heard the gospel. The salvation, the gospel has come. And I've heard it and you've heard it. He says, and they will hear it. And when he had said his word, the Jews departed and had a great dispute amongst himself. Have you noticed? The Gentiles will hear the salvation of God. But what did the Jews do? You see the two groups? He mentions it on the same page. He says Gentiles and Jews. The Jews gladly received the salvation of God. But what did the Jews do? They departed and had a what? A great dispute amongst themselves. They were fighting with this. They were going on. And what is going on here? And remember, he's talking about the Jews now and the Gentiles. He says, the Gentiles will hear this gospel and they will take it on. And now we continue on. He says in verse 30, the Paul dwelt there two years in his own rented house, teaching the things. Uh, uh, um, uh, Mr. Then Paul dwelt there for two years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. And what did he do in verse 31? Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. You circle the word kingdom of God there, did you? It is so fascinating. What do we see in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1? He says that he was preaching, speaking. Jesus was coming talking about the kingdom of God. Now we find Paul at the end preaching the kingdom of God. Do you know what is the kingdom of God? I ask again. Now, here is the fascinating thing. We see this. There's no amen there. There's no amen. Now, the question is, when will Acts stop there? And I, I got the answer, brothers and sisters. Acts will stop at the rapture. That's when Acts will stop. Because Acts brought in what we are calling the dispensation of grace. Acts brought in the church age. When you look at this now, when Jesus came in the Old Testament, He was coming to the Jews. And then when He died, we will see in a minute or two that now the Gentiles has got the Gospel. And this time here from the cross and to the rapture is called the dispensation of grace. At this point in time when the church will be removed from the earth, the Holy Spirit will remove the church from the earth. There is a seven-year tribulation that will start again. And then we see the focus going back to the Jews. Back to the Jews. And then when Jesus comes down on the battle of Armageddon, He will set up the Millennial Kingdom. So when is Acts going to stop? Where is the Amen of Acts? When the church is removed. Acts is the birth of the church. Now let's go back. I want to show you the transitional book of Acts. If you look at Acts, you will see there's a transitional just by the preachers in the book. If you look at the first part of Acts, you will see that Jesus is preaching some part of it. Then we see Peter and the apostles. Peter stands up and he starts preaching the gospel. To whom did he preach? To the Jews. He didn't go out straight away. He started standing up there and he preached to the Jews. In Jerusalem were all Jews coming together and they were preaching the apostles to the Jews who came for the Passover. Then we find this man Stephen. You remember Stephen? Stephen came out and he started talking to the people and he was, he was preaching to them. And he was 
preaching to the Jews. Who killed Stephen? The Jews. The Jews killed Stephen. Why did they kill him? And brothers and sisters, I've got this red line here. Now, if you want to write all this down, I can give you the slides, okay? Just look at the words. You see this red line here. We're going to talk about this red line in the next few weeks. Because this is an important thing that happened in the middle or in the book of Acts. You will see some significant change here after Stephen. Because Philip then came onto the scene and he preached to an Enoch. You remember that? The message started going out to an Enoch. And then Peter came here in Acts chapter 10 and he starts preaching to Cornelius which is a Gentile, and then we find this man coming onto the scene, Paul. Paul, a Jew preaching to Gentiles. I want you to put this, look, I'm going to go over this timeline a few times in the next few weeks. You will see this coming clearer as we go on. I want to set the scene here, remember. You need to understand that there's a transition that takes place from when Jesus is resurrected all the way through here and the preaching of Paul. When he came out, and I want you to go home because I've done this. When Jesus appeared in the Old Testament, he stood in front of the people. He was preaching about the kingdom of heaven. Have you heard that? Jesus comes out and he preaches. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, at the baptism, he says, you must repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you've got a Bible electronic software, I want you to go and put in the word kingdom of heaven and see how many times it's used in the New Testament. 33 times. 33 times the kingdom of heaven is used. But it's only used in the Gospels. It's not used in the book of Acts. Next week, I'm going to teach and preach on the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. I'll give you that and I'll show you that. It's too much content, brothers and sisters. I just want to get you excited about that. Give you a little bit of taste. But for now, it's interesting to see that when Jesus came, He spoke about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Sometimes they talk about both and then sometimes just one. The question to you is, what is the kingdom of heaven and what is the kingdom of God? Are they the same? And I can tell you emphatically, no, they are not. I will show that to you next week. But for now we see a transition that after the cross, when Jesus came, and I showed it to you in your Bible, that He gave the apostles commandments, didn't He? And He taught to them things pertaining what? The kingdom of God. Here at the end of the book of Acts, we see that Paul teaches about the what? The kingdom of God. So here we see already a transition taking place where this teaching goes down the line. When it started off, it started for the Jews. The first part of Acts is for the Jews. And then it, it goes over to the Gentiles. If, if we look at the transi transitional book here, we see that things are transitioning from the Jews to the Gentiles. From Israel to the church. Stop. Alarm. Let me give you a disclaimer. I'm not saying that the church is replacing Israel. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But we see a transition from Israel through the book of Acts 
to the church. What does it mean? It means that the Israel was supposed to carry the gospel to the world, but they did not because they rejected Jesus. Now, the church needs to take the gospel to the world. That's the transition I'm talking about. There's a transition from Peter to Paul. We will see in the next few weeks the doctrine that Peter was preaching and the doctrine that Paul is teaching. It is the same, but it's different. You will see that. We're going to see that there's a transition from water to blood. And it's important for you as a child of God to know this. The water and the blood. There's a transition in the book of Acts. We will see that it starts off with water, but then Paul is going to preach more about blood than water. Why? And brothers and sisters, again, please hear me this morning. If you understand these things, you will not be able to fall into the error of serving God through works. It will be through the Holy Spirit and God's power. This is where the error comes in. So many churches get tied up with this thing where they take their doctrine from the book, the Gospels. And they teach doctrine of the Gospels as the doctrine for the church, which it is not. It is not. It came specifically for the Jews. Now again, I started off the sermon by saying to you that all Scripture is given as inspiration. I'm not cutting any parts out. But you need to understand for the child of God today, the gospel is physical, uh, the Bible is physical, and it is spiritual. I'm not trying to change it into spiritual. You will see as we continue. But Paul starts preaching about the blood. And then it is a transition from works to grace. From works to grace. There is so much content here. We will see down here at the bottom, that the doctrine that these men are preaching is the same, but it is different. It is the same, but it is different. Amen? Amen. Have I set the scene? Yes. Have I set the scene? Are, are you eager? Yes. Yes. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is going to change your... Uh, it's not something new, by the way. It's not something which I all of a sudden found out. No, no. It's always been there. But it's time that we open up the Word of God and read it for what it is in context. In context. So, for the last part, how much time have I got? I've got 10 minutes. Who's, who's counting? But for the last part, I want to show you the transition from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Because that lays the foundation for the book of Acts. Let's go to the Old Testament. The book of Exodus chapter 12. We all know this passage. The Jews or the Israel, Israelites, they were sitting under Pharaoh. And he wanted to, they wanted to go and he didn't want to let them go. And then we read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. He says, speak to all the congregation of Israel. This is God saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Everybody say a lamb. Amen. According to the house of his father, a lamb for his household. So this is the institution of the Passover. The Old Testament. The Old Covenant. You can have all those words. God is making a covenant here. He says, I want each house to take a little lamb 
And you can go read all those private things. It makes for beautiful reading because that lamb is a representation of Jesus Christ. But he says, take a little lamb, bring him into your house. Get familiar with the little lamb. The lamb is going to bleed around the house. You're going to pick it up. You're going to say, oh, how beautiful is the lamb. You're going, to, you're going to hug him. You're going to pat him. You're going to feed him. He's going to become familiar to you. On the 14th day, what's going to happen? You have to kill it. And now it says in verse 12, uh, verse 7. And then they shall take some of that blood. Everybody say blood. blood. And put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. And they shall eat the flesh. Everybody say flesh. Flesh. On that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with your belt on your waist and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So what does it mean? You need to bring a little lamb in. You need to kill the lamb, eat the flesh. Didn't say drink the blood but eat the flesh. And what do you do? It is the Lord's Passover. That is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Then something wonderful happened, brothers and sisters. In John chapter 1, verse 29, I'll fast for him so fast. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, everybody say, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. There's a lamb here. Remember what he said? Everybody take the lamb for the household. Here comes the lamb for the household of God and for everybody to take this way the sin of the world. This he said of him who after him comes, a man who is not prepared is preferred before me, for he was before me and did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, John says, I come baptizing with water. Everybody see that word there? The word therefore is an application word. If you see that word, you need to understand what is before the word. He says, Behold the Lamb of God, who comes to take away the sin of the world. And then he says, He comes, He's preferred before me. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. You see that? Why did He baptize with water? Because the Lamb is coming. Prepare. What is that meaning? The baptism there that John the Baptist was baptizing was, was the baptism for the remission of sin. The nation had to come. The nation had to be cleansed. For what? To enter into the kingdom of heaven. You need to understand this. He came and he baptized and he says he baptized with water, not with blood. He says with water. Why? For the remission of sin so that you can enter into a kingdom. The king is coming. He's going to take you away. In the previous verse, he says you need to do all of these things with what? With your belt on your waist and your sandals on your feet. You're going somewhere. If you take part of the Passover, you are going somewhere. You are going away from sin into freedom. Are you with me now? You're going somewhere. Now, Jesus appears on the scene. The same thing. You will there's the Lamb of God. How do, do these people need to take it? They need to be ready to go somewhere. But to go somewhere, they had to be baptized. If you wanted to become a Jew back in those days, you had to be baptized to become a Jew. This is important to understand, brothers and sisters. 
So he says, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, and did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon him whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is he who baptizes with what? The Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I will leave this with you to think about. There is a different baptism that's happening here than that's happening there. The baptism of John is not the baptism for the church. Oh, wait a minute, but are you saying that we don't have to get baptized? Peter said, repent and be baptized. We're going to get to that place. But baptism has changed. You see, there's a transition that took place. You get so many people who say, when you get born again, you're not really truly born again until you get water baptized. That's not true. That is not true. I don't know who says that. I'm telling you what the Word of God says today. It ain't true. The tr truth is right there in front of all of us. He says He comes to prepare for a lamb. Brothers and sisters, for you and for me, the lamb has already come. He's already been slain. He's already been resurrected. He's already ascended in heaven. And He is now our high priest who intercedes for us. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, there's so much content. Please make it just, Holy Spirit, just take it and make it that people understand it. And by that, I do not say that you can't understand it. The Holy Spirit needs to open it up to you. John 6 verse 52. We find an interesting passage here. Now Jesus is walking and he's talking a lot. And I'm parachuting into these passages. You need to go and read the whole passage. But the Jews came to him and he walks with them. And the Jews therefore quarreled amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because Jesus said to them, I'm the man who came from heaven. And, they, and you need to eat me. And they go, How can we eat this? We're not cannibals. Come on, man. You know, we're in, 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 you know. And then Jesus said to them in verse 53, This will all make sense to you now. He said, Moses, should I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Wow, that's tough. That's hard words. And you see, because these people were walking and just having their doctrine in, ingrained into them, they took that one passage as an isolated passage and go, this guy is crazy. But they needed to do what you and I do. And we've got the privilege of doing it. We can go back and see that John said he's the Lamb of God. And if you understand that he's the Lamb of God, you will understand what happened in, 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 in Exodus. That, you know, this Lamb is a sacrificial Lamb. It's a Lamb that's going to take away the sin. This is what Jesus was telling them. But they were so, their minds were blocked. They say, he said to them, you need to eat my flesh and you need to drink my blood. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last days, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Whew. That is weighty. That is much. He says, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now we go in our final scriptures today. 
we go to the upper room. And now we understand what he's meant when he sat around the table. And he started doing what we did this morning. He says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he says, they eat, this is my body. You need to eat the lamb. Just like they did in Exodus. You need to eat this. He says, take eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it. He says, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant. And for the first time he starts talking about a new covenant. And now I want you to look at this now. Please be with me. Which is shed for many for what? Okay, it says, my blood. The blood is shed for? The remission. You said it yourself. Well, in fact, you just read what the Bible said. What did John came to do? He said, you are baptizing water for what? For the remission of your sins. You see how Acts is going to become a transition from water to blood? I'm already giving it away here. It goes from water to blood. He says, my blood will be for the remission of sins. In 1 Corinthians 11. Now, I want you to notice this. In Matthew, Matthew was in the room. He writes down what he see, what he heard. Remember, who wrote the book of Corinthians? Paul. Was he in the upper room? He wasn't in the upper room. Where did he get this? He said, but wait a minute, Paul got it from Peter and from Matthew because they were there. No, 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 no. If you read through the book of God, the, the Acts, you will find that when, when Paul was, was struck down on the road of Damascus, where did he go? He was blind at first. His eyes was restored and where did he go? He went straight to the desert of Arabia. He said it himself. He says, when the Lord touched me, I didn't go to the apostles. He went straight to the wilderness. And there, Jesus Christ appeared to him and gave him what? Gave him the gospel and the doctrine of the New Testament. You say, where did you get this? Well, if he wasn't in the upper room, how can he then say, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. He didn't get it from Peter. He didn't get it from Matthew. He didn't get it from Thomas. He didn't get it from anybody else but the Lord. So Jesus sat down with Peter and with Paul. And he said, Paul, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you what happened in the upper room. In the upper room, I broke the bread and I said these words. And in the upper room, I took the cup and I gave it to him. And this is what I said. I received it from the Lord. And now he teaches it as doctrine. But look at this now. He says, the Lord, in the same manner as he was betrayed with bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take it, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup, and after saying, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do us often. You see, he didn't say that as a remission of sin, but it's the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, here is, here is my final part for the day. There's so much more, but I don't think I can give more. You see, this is how wonderful the Bible is. When he talks here for the first time in the room about a new covenant, a new testament, he says the new covenant, the new covenant. What was he starting to say? He was starting to tell him that I have to die. If you're going to eat this today, I have to die. Because you see, a new testament comes only into fruition, into act. When the testator dies. 
Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 mm. give us that. He says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. You see that? Do you read now a lot about water? What do you read a lot about now? The blood. There is power in the blood. I, I, I pray God you see the transition already taking place. He says in his own blood he entered into the most high once for all. Now it's going to happen again. Having obtained eternal redemption through his blood. For if the blood of bulls and goats and asses of the hay, for sprinkling and unclean sacrifice of purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot of God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He's giving them the Old Testament versus the New Testament. The old versus the new. And here comes it now in verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the transgression first uh, under the first covenant, he becomes the he becomes the mediator between the old and the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For there, where there is a testament, look at this now, I'm going to slow this down. For where there is a testament, a new covenant, there must also be a necessity of the death of the testator. This is why Jesus had to die. If Jesus didn't die, we would be wasting our time here. If Jesus didn't die, we had to go to the Jews and ask Him to become Jews, proselyte to become Jews. They had to baptize us in water and we had to start following the law. Are you clear what I'm saying now? This is why Jesus had to die, the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, not before. It works like that in our world. I've got a world. If anything happens to me or my wife, the world goes to the children. Now some of us start giving them, you know, some of it. But you're not dead. It doesn't mean the world is in, in effect yet. The tester, the testator had to die. it has no power at all while the testator lives. Now, <clears throat> final words. It amazes me that there are still people who are living in the church under no power. Under no power. Why? Because they are still trying to uphold the institutions of the Old Testament. And you know what I say this morning? Bless their hearts. It's a tough work to do. I've got so much respect for you if you want to do that. But respect is not going to be to you. No, no, we need to come under the blood of Christ. There is power in the blood. I know I've said a lot. My prayer is to God that it makes sense. But you know what? I can't make it make sense. The Holy Spirit is the only one who will do. 